Over the last three weeks, we have discovered that the letter of Galatians boils down to Paul answering one crucial question. How do you become acceptable to God? We could use lots of different words. How are we justified? How are we made righteous? How are we saved from sin or evil and death? But the question is the same. How do you become acceptable to God and therefore part of his one worldwide family of people? The debate was raging in Galatia because after Paul had set up the church, he'd been forced to leave to attend other business. And once he had left, troublemakers had come in speaking lies. These were Jewish nationalists who were trying to tell the new Gentile converts that actually faith in Christ was not enough to be acceptable to God. It was a good start, certainly, but now they needed to add on some necessary extras. These Gentiles now needed to become Jews and start following the Jewish law. They needed to eat only kosher food, no pork. They needed to observe the Sabbath and many other sacred festivals. Most importantly, they needed to become circumcised, the ultimate identity marker of the Jews. And when Paul hears of this, he is incensed. This is not the gospel. This is a distortion for nationalistic purposes. This is not the message he was given by the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road at his conversion. No, Paul knew that the only way and the only thing necessary to become acceptable to God is to have faith in Christ. Believers in Christ are set free from the law. Believers in Christ form God's one worldwide family. God's faithfulness to his people and our faithfulness in response is all that matters. This was the promise that God made through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. This was the promise that Paul had heard firsthand from Christ. This is the promise that God's people still today are to proclaim into the world to Jew and Gentile alike. After some introductory discussions with Paul defending his authenticity, In Galatians chapter 3, we hit the heart of the letter. Here Paul is going to argue in detail for his position. He's urging the Galatians to look at the evidence from the scriptures so they won't be fooled by the troublemakers and be derailed from their faith. Now there is no doubt that Paul's argument here is dense and difficult to follow. So to help us, I'm going to try and split the passage in half. And I'm going to use a vivid illustration to try and help us understand what each half is saying, what Paul is trying to communicate. So let's start with verses 1 to 9, an illustration that I'm going to entitle, To be carried by faith or to go it alone. To be carried by faith or to go it alone. Many of you will have heard the name Charles Blondin. He lived in the 19th century and he became famous for tightrope walking. 
On the 30th of June 1859, he performed his most daring act of all. He crossed the Niagara Gorge on a tightrope. However, he didn't just cross it once, he did it a few times. And then he did it blindfolded. And then he did it trundling a wheelbarrow across in front of him. Then he went into the middle, cooked an omelette and ate it. And finally, he carried his manager across on his back. Just imagine that, being carried across the Niagara Gorge by a tightrope walker with no safety nets at all. This was a supreme act of physical trust by one human being in another. Now suppose for a moment things had gone a little differently. Suppose that halfway across the gorge, the man being carried decided that actually he didn't trust Blondin anymore. It would be better for him to get down onto the wire and make the rest of the way himself. Despite not having any previous experience of walking on tightropes. Imagine what his onlooking family and friends on the cliffside opposite would have thought. They would have thought he had gone mad. They would have thought that he had lost his mind. Perhaps they would have thought he was bewitched. Coming back to our reading, this is what Paul thinks of the Galatians, who having come to faith under his preaching of the gospel, now want to be circumcised. They began their journey in the power of the Spirit, Do they really think they'll be able to continue the rest of the way in their own strength, the power of the flesh? They began by being carried by Jesus and all he achieved for them on the cross. Do they really think they can get down from his strong arms and continue the rest of the way, performing their own works of the law? This is what Paul is labouring in these opening few verses. Being a Christian starts by placing your whole trust in the crucified and resurrected Christ. It starts with a supreme act of faith. (coughs) But it then continues in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is given to all of God's people when they believe in Jesus. It doesn't begin by trusting in Jesus and then continue by following the minutiae of the law. You cannot be carried and go it alone at the same time. You cannot be empowered by the Spirit and by the flesh. You cannot put all of your trust in faith in Christ and put all of your trust in the law. It's either one or the other. And I think we can all agree that it's better to be carried by the expert than it is to set out on our own. That's how Paul begins in verses 1 to 5. And to prove his point, he then draws a lesson from the life of Abraham. Paul states that if you believe in Jesus... You have received the Spirit. You have become a child of Abraham. You are part of God's family. 
Now the Jewish nationalists around in Paul's day were telling the Gentiles that they needed to become circumcised. They needed to keep every aspect of the law if they wanted to be included in God's family, if they wanted to become fully acceptable to God. But Paul flatly denies that. If they believe in Jesus, they are already in through faith. After all, Paul says, this was how Abraham himself received God's blessing. <coughs> Way back in Genesis 15, as we read at the start of our service, God made Abraham a promise, a promise of a great family. And Abraham believed it. Simple as that. Abraham didn't earn or merit that promise. God made the promise and Abraham simply responded in faith. And Paul is saying, if that is how Abraham himself responded to God, then still today, all those who hear God's promise of forgiveness and acceptance through Jesus and believe it, are acting like Abraham did. Therefore, they are Abraham's children. In fact, Paul says, God promised Abraham all those years ago that all the nations of the world would be blessed through his family. In other words, God foresaw the day when even the Gentiles would enter his people just by having faith like Abraham did. Faith in Abraham's greatest descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope then this illustration helps us to understand the first part of this very dense passage. To drop our simple faith in Jesus and instead to try and earn his favour the rest of the way by keeping all the works of the law is like trying to climb off the tightrope walker's back and go it alone from there. Quite simply, disaster is guaranteed. Death is guaranteed. Paul's readers need to remain being carried by Jesus in the power of the Spirit. If they remain in Jesus, they will reach the other side of the river. They'll be part of God's family forevermore. So hopefully we now have a grasp on what the first half of the passage means. Let's turn to the second in the second part of our passage, Paul is trying to explain to his Gentile readers why God gave Israel the law. And why, after Jesus' death and resurrection, no one in God's family, Jew or Gentile, are compelled to live under it anymore. Now this bit really is complicated. So I'm going to use a second illustration. And I've entitled this one, living in quarantine even after being cured living in quarantine even after being cured watching the news this week we have seen uk nationals being flown back home from wuhan in china and placed in quarantine this of course is due to the coronavirus and the rules of the quarantine that these people are entering are strict. Those who have the virus will not be released until a cure is found. In this situation, what does placing someone in quarantine do? Well, it does a few things. 
First of all, it tells the person in no uncertain terms that they are sick. They need help. Secondly, it protects them from contracting other diseases, which in their weakened state could prove fatal. Coronavirus so weakens the immunity that if you caught a cold, it could kill you. And third, it sets these people apart from the wider population for the benefit of them both, hopefully stopping the spread of the disease. Now, of course, the rules of quarantine are strict. This is not a game. But importantly, they're only temporary. It would be absurd to follow the rules of quarantine and carry on isolating yourself from other human beings once you've been cured, once you've been released from the centre. To do that would be to deny the healing you have had and the freedom that you have gained. It would ignore the quality of life that is now on offer to you. No person who had become well would continue following quarantine rules by choice, would they? Now, if you understand that, you understand what Paul is writing in these verses. Because Paul describes the law, the Torah, as a strict quarantine for God's people. It's important for us to realise that you never had to follow the law to be included in God's family. Paul states in verse 17 that the promise to Abraham and his family was made 430 years before the law was even given. No, the Bible says here in this passage that the law was given to Moses because Israel was sick. Sick with their own sin. And the law was given as God tried to keep his people safe, to keep them together until a cure was found. Now let's stretch our illustration a little bit further. Imagine if of those people who've come home from China and in quarantine, there were some brilliant medical scientists. And while they were there in quarantine, they invented the required vaccine by experimenting on themselves. A little bit far-fetched, maybe. But this is what Paul thinks has happened with Israel. Israel was sick with their sin. They were placed under the quarantine of the law. But from Israel came the cure. Jesus. He was the one God was anticipating when he made his promise to Abraham all those years before. In fact, this was the reason that God called Abraham in the first place. God called Abraham because through his family, he would deal with all the sin in the world. This happened through Abraham's greatest descendant, his greatest son, the seed of his line, as mentioned in verse 16. Jesus was the one the whole of Abraham's family was aiming for and waiting for. Jesus was the only one who could do what was required to heal the great sickness of the world. So let's go back through and make sure we understand the link between the law and my quarantine illustration. The law was given to the Jews to remind them that they were sick. They'd sinned. They needed help. 
The law was given because Israel were in a weak state. They were liable to be tempted by any immorality or idolatry they came across. And in their state, these sins would prove fatal to them. So God gave them the law to restrict them, to keep them safe, to keep them on track. And finally, the law was to keep Israel together, to set them apart until they produced Jesus, the fulfillment of the nation. I hope this is beginning to make sense. Paul is at pains to stake in verse 21 that the law was not bad. It was not opposed to God's promise to Abraham. Rather, it was a necessary interim measure. It was wise. It was good. It was effective. It held Israel together until Christ came. But, and this is the crucial bit, Christ has now come. He has cured the illness of sin. Through his death and resurrection, evil has been defeated. Sin has been forgiven. Eternal life has been granted. We have been healed. So the door locks on Israel have now been opened. The period of quarantine is now over. The cure has come from Israel and it's now ready to be spread to the whole world. All people who have sinned, Jew and Gentile alike, saved by Christ's work. Therefore, Paul states, all people can enter Abraham's family, God's family, by the Spirit. This is on offer to all those who place their faith in Christ. And Paul hits his home particularly in verse 14 and verse 22. He redeemed us Jews in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that, that was what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. I hope that those two illustrations have been helpful and not just further complicated this already complicated passage. But let me finish with just one final clarification. The Jewish law is not opposed to God's promises. It's just not the means by which those promises were fulfilled. The way into God's family has always been by faith and by faith alone. The Jewish law was an interim measure specifically for Israel, holding them together until the arrival of Jesus. And now that Jesus has died and risen again, the Lord's purpose has been fulfilled. It's now being set aside. The law cannot give life. It cannot deal with sin. It cannot make people right. The law was the quarantine, not the cure. It was the holding zone until the cure came. The law said what people could and couldn't do, but it couldn't empower a person to live by the rules, like the Spirit enables us to please Jesus today. So forevermore, God now welcomes those who come to him in faith. There will never be any further requirements than that. And this was the crucial message for Galatians in Paul's day to hear. But what about us today? How are we supposed to respond to this very dense and difficult passage? 
I'm sure our heads are spinning a little bit. Mine certainly was as I was preparing it. What do we need to take away? What's the practical relevance of this to our lives? Well, first, I think there's a few brief things. First of all, we must never, ever abandon Jesus. At any count, can we ever walk away from Jesus or seek to live in our own power rather than the power of the Spirit? To try in any way to earn our salvation or merit God's favour by doing enough works is a route to disaster. To try and eat the right food, to try and observe all the special days and festivals, to try and follow any form of legalistic behaviour is as stupid as getting off a tightrope walker's back and doing the rest on your own. As Christians, no matter what, we must hang on to Jesus and trust in him. Secondly, as a church, we should never force other Christians into these practices either. As new people come and explore Jesus and we come into contact with new people on our island, we shouldn't stress to them how they should dress, what they should wear, what they should say, how often they should be in church. All of this stuff's extra. We should tell them simply about Jesus and urge them to put their trust in him, allow him to carry them. And this then teaches us what our attitude to the law should be like. What should we do with all of our Old Testament? Does that mean we should never read it? We should ignore it? No, we should read it. We should see God's intention behind it. Seek to follow the intention rather than being burdened by the law. So, for example, when you read the Old Testament, you discover that human beings need rest. We cannot keep working all the time. So we should take a day off. But we shouldn't argue about what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. That is to live under the burden of the law rather than the intention of the law. So in all things, we must rejoice that Jesus Christ loves us, that he's forgiven us, that he's blessed us with his spirit. And if we trust in him, we've been set free from the law, free from sin, free from evil, free from death and welcomed into God's, God's one big family of people where we will be forevermore. Paul's writing is dense and complicated, but that is surely something to celebrate with joy. Let's pray together.